today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. you know that there are actually card-carrying Republicans who are believers in Jesus Christ? Did you know that there are actually registered Democrats who are part of the body of Jesus Christ? Did you know that there can even be independents and libertarians who are part of the body of Jesus Christ? How do we interact with that? They can't be saved and believe that. Uh, you're very short-minded. Because we see that very similar thing going on even right here. And you think, this is bad. Wait till they started bringing the Gentiles into the church. And they loved one another, they cared for each other, and they saw that there were needs within each other's lives. How can people who have vastly different opinions, backgrounds, and educations ever hope to get along in the long run? Is there any hope that a church body made up of such different people can be united? As you'll discover with Pastor David today, there is indeed hope. Believers are united under Christ. Believers are a part of one body. Don't let practical, temporal things dictate who you will serve or love. Christ's blood covers all differences and allows you to love, care, and serve all people. And here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 6 as he begins his message, The Ever-Present Need. Well, there's years ago, someone penned the words that says that success is actually last year's nest from which the birds have flown. Now, let me pause and give you that again. Success is last year's nest from which the birds have flown. So in other words, what he's saying is, is you cannot rest on the success of yesterday because that's yesterday. You need to keep moving forward. In your personal life, in your personal spiritual walk, in secular business, or absolutely in ministry, the fact remains we cannot stay stagnant and expect to be able to see continued growth on what's been done in the past. Because what's done in the past is in the past. We need to have a vision for the future. We need to have that personally. We need to have that spiritually. We need to have that as a ministry. No business lasts for very long standing on the conquest and, and what they've done in the past. They always have to look forward. And beloved, that's just a principle of reality in just about every area of our life. As we've been going through the book of Acts, we're in the sixth chapter of the book of Acts, but when we were looking at the earlier chapters, we, we saw God continually adding to the New Testament church. I would have looked at that and I said, 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost, boom, that's good. That's a good church. That's bigger than I can handle anyway. Let's just run with that. But God continued to grow his church. We continue to see this movement. Even when persecution started coming in and the press of uh, the religious leaders started coming against the church and against the leaders, the church still enjoyed, actually enjoyed favor with the general public. 
And for the most part, they remained free to be able to proclaim the gospel to expand the work of the ministry, even when the leadership had told them on a couple of occasions, no longer speak in that name. Even when the Jewish leadership had taken and beaten the leaders of the church, the apostles, and said, no longer speak in that name, they rejoiced that they would face persecution and they would go right out and continue to be able to preach the name of Jesus and the ministry continued to expand. Look with me, if you would, at the end of chapter two in the book of Acts. We see the church growing. There's added growth, and with that added growth, there's a necessity to be able to minister to both the spiritual and the physical needs that were coming up, that were a a part of that growing congregation. Down in Acts chapter two, verse 44 through 47, we read, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord, In the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So again, the church is growing. As it's growing, there were needs that were made apparent and that that growing body of believers, they joined together in being able to meet the needs of their brothers and their sisters in Christ. And as they were doing that, as he says, and the Lord continued to add to the church daily those who were being saved. Turn over a page or two to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32, we kind of see the same pattern still happening. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and they brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need." So here we see the church is it's growing. It's growing so quickly. The number of the people who are a part of the church, again, they, as they came into the church, they, they were still dealing with normal processes of life. They were still dealing with issues in their life. They still had family issues. They still had kid issues. They still had financial issues. They still had health issues. But now they're a part of the body of Christ. In some areas we know, just through his, history, they lost jobs. They lost homes. They lost their possessions. And as they came into the church, others were able to help them, to be able to sustain them, to keep them going. Uh, There arose this need within the congregation, so apparent, and so the congregation itself took upon themselves again, and they began to sacrifice of their own resources in order to assist their brothers and sisters that were struggling. Now, you need to understand, this was not socialism. And I also want to ease your heart today. No, we're not, we're not calling for this uh, pattern in Calvary Chapel today. Okay, that's not what this is about. What I want you to see is the love and the care and the connectedness of the body of believers at this time. No one was forced to contribute. Uh, they, they weren't forced to you know, come into this common pool and the unfortunate thing with that kind of thing, the guy that has a lot, he puts a lot in the pool. The guy that has a little, he puts a little in the pool and then suddenly everybody's pulling out the same. Uh, again, that, 
that, that, that's socialism. That's not what was going on here at all. What was happening is, is there were multitudes of individual acts of love and compassion for the needs that they saw around them. The heart of the people for the Lord and then they had compassion on their brothers and sisters. And as they came, they laid these things at the apostles' feet, and the apostles distributed to each as anyone had a need. Now by now, we see we've got the 12 apostles. Remember Judas Iscariot out of the picture, but now they voted in Matthias, and he is there. It's very evident here from the scriptures that we just read that the primary responsibility of the disbursement of these physical resources actually came upon the apostles themselves. And so it shouldn't come as any surprise to us when we look at that. We're talking about thousands and thousands of people within the church. And the apostles had this responsibility of dispersing these goods. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that that, that made a whole lot of sense at the beginning, uh, it just wasn't working so well again as the church grew. What worked in the early stages was no longer uh, working at this point in time. We're going to look and see that, again, what was sufficient for the days of small things, it was no longer sufficient for those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying. Not just adding one or two or 10 or 12, but it was literally multiplying. As a matter of fact, hopefully you're going to see this morning that the apostles, they were actually messing up. They weren't doing this thing correctly. There were issues that were going on. And so again, in this whole care for the congregation. So let's go to where we're at this morning. That's Acts chapter 6. We're continuing on our journey through the book of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Some have um, subtitled it uh, Acts, the birth and the growth of the first century church. I think that we could also subtitle it if we're honest with ourselves and honest with what we see, that it's uh, the book of Acts subtitled as the trials and the errors of the first century church, okay? We'll see that hopefully this morning. Look here at Acts chapter six, beginning in verse one. Now in those days, when the number of the apostles or the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Guys, we know that, that in the early days of the church, that those that were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, they were actually coming out of Judaism. They were Jews that were being saved. The Gentiles weren't quite there yet. And the vast, vast majority, it was Jews that were coming to recognize Jesus of Nazareth, that rabbi from up in Galilee, is truly the promised one of Israel. He is the Messiah. So by and large, the 99% the portion of the church at this time had come out of Judaism. But yet, even within Judaism, there were several divisions, there were several different cultures within Judaism. Two very primary ones, very basic ones that we speak about here in chapter 6, come again, this 
They consider themselves, again, different. There were issues that divided them. One of those, they considered themselves pure to the language, pure to the tradition of Judaism. They called themselves Hebrews, okay? They, they were strict with the law, strictly against the Roman culture. There was another group of Jews, still a part of Judaism, that were actually, they were impacted, they were influenced by the surrounding, the Greco-Roman language and, and the culture that had been a part of Israel actually for a number of years. And these were called Hellenists. Hellenist is the Greek word actually for Greek or the Greek language. Hellenistus, one who uses the Greek language or Hellas, the very name for Greece. Now the Greek or the Hellenistic influence and culture, they had been a part of the land of Israel actually since the Seleucid Empire came and invaded the area around 200 BC. Now the Seleucid Empire was actually centered in Macedonia, which is a part of Greece. So the Greek Empire had control over that area for a while until the Roman Empire came and overpowered the Greek Empire. And then once the Romans came, they gained control of the area of Israel around 63 BC. And the interesting thing about the Romans is they actually allowed that Greek culture, that Greek influence, and even the Greek language to, to be a part of them. They adopted it, they adapted it, most of that to their own culture. That's what we know as the Greco-Roman culture, okay? These two different empires joining together. Now, during the early days of the church, there appears that there was this a bit of a battle, some sort of a prejudice that was going on between those that considered themselves pure to Judaism, the, the, the Hebrews, and those who had been influenced by the, the Grecian culture, the, the Hellenists. Now, the Hellenists were the ones, they, they had no problem in speaking the Greek language. Uh, they spoke very little Aramaic, and yet for the Jews, they spoke the Hebrew and the Aramaic, but their primary language of discussion and even merchandising or business was in Aramaic for the Jew, the, the pure Jew. For the Hellenists, however, the Greek language became very much a part of them. The, many of them even dressed in the Greek culture and, and looked that way. They appreciated the things of, again, the Greek era and the Greek culture. The pure Jews were so against it and they fought against it. So now these two groups come into the church. Now they're brothers and sisters in Christ. And what do you do when you get two opposing political parties coming together under the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me surprise you here a little bit this morning. Did you know that there are actually card-carrying Republicans who are believers in Jesus Christ? Did you know that there are actually registered Democrats who are part of the body of Jesus Christ? Did you know that there can even be independents and libertarians who are part of the body of Jesus Christ? How do we interact with that? They can't be saved and believe that. Uh, you're very short-minded. Because we see that very similar thing going on even right here. And you think, this is bad. Wait till they started bringing the Gentiles into the church. And they loved one another. They cared for each other. And they saw that there were needs within each other's lives. And as they grew in Christ, they didn't let these political things become the factor. They started loving on each other. Even though they were converted to Christianity, these differences were there. 
the body of Christ then and yes, even today is very diverse, but beloved, we are united under faith and under the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, with several thousands that we see here in the New Testament now identifying themselves as believers and as part of the church, it would have been absolutely logistically impossible for just the 12 apostles themselves to have absolute and full control over the disbursement of these resources. There's no doubt that they had to have appointed different ones to take care of issues, but somehow in the midst of that, things were getting out of control and somehow the prejudice, yes, even within the church, was impacting the lives of believers. A complaint about that discrepancy reached the ears of the apostles and they took action to bring the problem to a quick end. Someone says, hey, you know, these over here, the Hellenist widows, they're not getting what they need. Whoever's dispersing the goods, they're giving it all to the Hebrew widows. And so again, once that came to the ears of the apostles, they took quick action. Look what it says in verse two. The 12 summoned the multitude of disciples. Now I don't know how many multitude, I don't believe that that's the whole church, but it's probably many of those who were in areas of responsibility. With that many people, undoubtedly, there were other ones who had responsibilities and coverings and pasturing and, and again, caring for the flock. They called these together and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now the apostles clearly understood that there was this issue that, that needed to be dealt with among the body of believers. But they also knew that they themselves had a great responsibility before God and yes, even before the people. I believe the apostles knew how easy it would have been for them to simply take care of the job themselves. Now, I've appointed guys to do this. They're messing up, so I'm going to get in there and do this myself. Anybody who's ever been you know, in an area of responsibility or you've been in charge of something, you know how difficult sometimes it is to, again, delegate responsibility. And then once you delegate responsibility, if it starts getting messed up, you just want to go in and grab a hold of it yourself and, and fix the thing. And the apostles, I believe, knew exactly that, that they could have fallen into that trap so easily. They knew, though, that if they did that, they would miss the need to fulfill the responsibilities that they actually had, again, before God and before the church. We also need to understand really quickly that they weren't saying that serving the people was below them. The apostles weren't saying, hey, listen, we're the guys. You, you've seen us. We're the ones in the stained glass. You know who we are. We're the ones that are the statues outside. No, that's not what they're saying. They are not saying that we are too high, we're too elevated to wait on tables. They weren't saying that they couldn't or that they would never lower themselves to take care of physical needs within the body. They were simply stating that God had given them a particular responsibility and if they fail in that responsibility, the impact and the effect of that failure would influence the church as well as influence the cause of Christianity in the world that surrounded them. It was a matter of priorities that they knew that God had laid out for them. It was Dwight L. Moody that said that uh, it's better to put 10 men to work than to try to do the work of 10 men. And so if the apostles were really fulfilling their primary responsibility, 
they would need to have others who were going to actually be responsible for taking care of business. And so the apostles continued. Look at verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. One of the first things you realize here is the requirements that the apostles were looking for in these men who are going to be in charge of the disbursements. And I say in charge, we're going to put them over this responsibility. There were to be men of good reputation. There were to be men full of the Holy Spirit. There were to be men full of wisdom. You need to understand that that idea of good reputation, that wasn't just inside the church, you know. How does the world look at that individual? Uh, Did they see that individual, did they see that man as a man full of honesty, full of integrity? Could they be trusted with the resources of the church? All we have to do is go back a chapter to chapter five. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Is he a guy that you would have wanted to put in charge of the resources of the church? No, because he was lying to God and and stealing from the church anyway. So again, they had to be men of good reputation. Anyone who stands before the body of Christ, representing the body of Christ, whether it's in the church or in the outside world, needs to be that kind of an individual where if somebody throws a charge against them, there's a slide right off, just like Teflon, because there's nothing that, that will stick. It's, it's what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, where he says, have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, that they may actually by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Men of good reputation. He says also men full of the Holy Spirit. And that, again, speaks to us of their spiritual maturity. Are they filled with and are they walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Are they led by the Spirit of God or are they led by the flesh? You don't want to have someone who is simply led by logic or by the world's ways to be placed in the area of responsibility within the body of the church for the believers. It can't be somebody just with the world's logic. An individual might be really good in in the world of business, but when he comes to the church's business, he or she needs to be led by the Spirit of God. They might be really savvy to Wall Street and to to Madison Avenue, but if they're not walking in the Holy Spirit, then then none of their worldly wisdom is going to be of any true, of any lasting and eternal benefit to the church. I'm glad for those that are sharp and business-wise, but I would rather have someone who is led by the Spirit than somebody who is just business-wise. Now, if you've got business-wise and led by the Spirit, that's a great combination. Being full or filled with the Holy Spirit is a non-negotiable when it comes to carrying out the ministry of the body of Christ. Oh, and filled with wisdom. One would think that if an individual was filled or full of the Holy Spirit, he'd also be filled with wisdom. But I feel again that the gift of wisdom, a particular spiritual gift of wisdom, being placed on an individual is really what we're looking at here. This wisdom was the ability, it was the readiness to be able to apply the Word of God, the movement of the Spirit into practical areas of life.
Thank you for joining us today on The Open Word. Acts is such an interesting book about the early church and how people engaged with their newfound faith and then spread that good news to their region and the entire world. If you're new to the Bible and are unsure what this newfound faith is, you can learn more about a man named Jesus who came to save you. He came as the Son of God to save you from your sins. These early disciples in the book of Acts were elated to share with everyone what Jesus had done for each of them. They wanted others to know that kind of love too. If you want to understand this more fully, we'd like you to know that here at The Open Word, we're here for you and we're praying for you. If you have some questions, please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church and begin attending regularly. If you live in Casa Grande, we'd love for you to come visit us. The Open Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, and we meet every Saturday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. You're welcome to join us for a time of worship and Bible study and a time to get to know other believers and find support. Find out more when you call us. Again, that number is 520-836-9676. You can also find out more about The Open Word and listen to additional messages by visiting theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Open Word.